Welcome, everyone. You are listening to the Arts Report on CITR 101.9 FM. We are broadcasting live from UBC's Point Grey campus on the unceded, ancestral, and traditional Musqueam territory here in Vancouver. I'm your host, Saira Unju, and I have two people in studio with me today. Woo-hoo. I have Ruby and I have Brendan Yan. Hi. Hello. Yeah, welcome. <laughs> so we're going to start the show with a live interview, which is always fun, with yes. uh, Brandon mm-hmm. about the Queer Film Festival. And then we're gonna. We have two more interviews today. We have a an interview with uh, uh, Nicola. Oh my God, her last name, Nicola Spinola, and then with Denny Molina. And lastly, we have a review of White Girls and Moccasins by Lua, who mm. did her review at the airport because <laughs> she is in Europe right now. <laughs> I saw her Instagram. I yeah. was like, is it she's supposed to be on the show today? <laughs> It was so funny. Yeah, <laughs> I messaged her. I'm like, hey, I know you're at the airport, but like, I need the review. <laughs> um, but yeah, so uh, let's jump right into it. Ruby, take it away. All right. Well, welcome. Br- Hold on. Oh, my God. I'm about to sneeze. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> okay, okay, it passed. It you're passed. good. You're good. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, welcome Brandon Yan, who is the executive director of the Vancouver Queer Film Festival. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. Um, So this year, the theme of the festival is Make It Yourself, inviting audiences to return to the political grassroots. Vancouver Queer Film Festival's programming aesthetic and curatorial vision will draw upon the fearless and fierce politics, visual style, and grassroots creativity of queer subcultures and the zines that keep the communities informed and connected. Yes, whoever wrote this, they're a great writer. Um, so first off, when and where can we watch the shows that are a part of this festival? Yeah, so what's great about this year is that we're maintaining our online presence mm-hmm. that we've had over the last two years during the pandemic. Mm-hmm. And we've actually had a lot of folks uh, message us being like, I'm from Prince George. I'm in like, oh, you know, wow. Nanaimo. And it's so great to finally oh be able to God. participate in the Queer Film Festival. Oh, and so that's staying. That warms my Wonderful. heart. So that's really cool. So people can watch across BC. It's locked to BC. The internet locks are on. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> and then also we'll be going back into person. So from yes. August 11th to 21st, you can catch uh, our shows at some select theaters in Vancouver. Wonderful. Awesome. Mm-hmm. And I understand that we have some tickets you can have some tickets. You away? can give tickets away. Yes. Okay. Yes. So someone named Michael Iannucci said that we can, yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. We can give away two tickets you can on do that. the show today. <laughs> um, so please call in if you'd like two tickets to uh, one of the shows yep. at the Vancouver Queer Film Festival happening in person on August 11th, 21st. Mm-hmm. Also, just... Uh, I just want to jump in really quickly and say, if you are listening to this and as the podcasted version and not live, because we do podcast every episode, please just DM us on Instagram yes. or Facebook. We are Arts Report CITR um, and to uh, enter the giveaway. Yeah. Cool. But please continue. (laughs) Okay, great. Should we say our phone number so that people can call in now, or should we just do Um, it for the podcast? (laughs) Figuring out logistics on air. (laughs) Hey, that's what professionals do. (laughs) I think um, let's let's keep the, you know, uh, the, oh, my God, the giveaway not to just today. Okay, great. So Uh, DM us. Yes. DM us. Yeah. Okay, awesome. So. Um, Brandon, how many uh, shows are going to be in this festival? 
Good question. Um, so this year, because of the pandemic and <laughs> literally, like when most festivals were planning last year, like we were in December being like, okay, so things are getting back to normal. Oh. And then Daddy Omicron happened. Mm-hmm. And so we're just like, ugh. Again, yes. <laughs> I so think we all were. yeah, yeah. <laughs> so essentially, we're gonna be doing like one venue per day mm-hmm. live mm-hmm. in Vancouver, and so it's like between one and four shows a day live. Wow, and then, that's huge. Yeah, it's not too bad. I mean, like normally we'd have two or three venues going at the same time. Wow. So yeah. we're trying to limit people's cross yeah. exposure yeah, yeah, and yeah. keep everyone safe and all the things, and also because who knows what's gonna happen. All the things, anyways. Knock on wood. So yeah. that's that, and then also like throughout the festival you'll we'll have we have tons of short programs this year so i think we have almost about a hundred films mm-hmm. all together including shorts and features oh and documentaries my God. that's and, incredible yes we tried to we tried to spread the net wide yeah. um mm-hmm. and also like queer creators are magic and they're creating more and more content every year yes. so it's been nice to be able to have some good selection to pick from and there's there's films and theater uh, there will be films and there's some special presentations as well. Okay. So um, sometimes with uh, with a film, there might be a component where like this actually would go really well with a poetry reading. Mm-hmm. And so we'll kind of mix those kinds of elements together and we will have those kinds of special presentations awesome. uh, in person. That's that's so cool. Yeah. Um, so as I said before, this year, the theme of the festival is make it yourself, inviting mm-hmm. audiences to return to the political grassroots. So what does make it yours, make it yours mean to you? Yeah. And I think that's, uh, it hits home this year in particular, because I think for queer communities and what we're seeing around the world is that while like, like trans and queer arts becoming a bit more mainstream, mm-hmm. there's so much pushback right now. And I think we have to kind of figure out how we uplift each other and how we, mm. you know, I think that's kind of like what we're thinking about is like, remember those those times when it was just us and like no one really cared to like put their logo on like queer things and like how do we kind of reinvigorate that spirit of like we need us yeah. to be there for us. And so I think that's kind of what I think about when I, I look forward the to the, roots. yeah, when I think about grassroots movements as well, like before it was trendy, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so are you sort of talking about like companies like queering their advertisement to try to like yeah there's like a wider audience or is that what you're sort of referring to there is that and i think that's important i think that's that shifts a lot of dialogue in our society yeah. but i also think that you know we also know how to protect ourselves we know how to lift each other up and mm-hmm. i think as we see especially you know the movement in the southern united states to mm-hmm. like particularly tr- like targeting trans people which is becoming much more and more violent as yeah. it progresses. Like even the the other week, there was a, a, a drag show in Victoria mm-hmm. that canceled their show because they received death threats. Oh, God. It was a drag story time or something like that. And like they got death threats. And like this is the first time we've ever had to cancel a, a drag oh, show. God. You know, and it's the same thing. Like in Surrey, there was a, a queer youth dance and there was like chatter that people were going to come and protest. And so the community had to step up and like protect <gasps> the youth, you know, like. <sighs> Like it's getting it's getting crunchy out there, yeah. and so I think that's what we're thinking about when it comes to make it yours. Is like we have the tools to do it ourselves, so let's do it. Mm-hmm. Yes, um, oh, and I, I think, love that. Yeah, so that's kind of what we're thinking. Uh, yeah, yeah, I and also it. the films reflect that spirit of DIY. Like, <laughs> you know, there our opening film is this beautiful film uh, set in Vancouver. Uh, it's a documentary, and it's about the early days of the Pride movement in Vancouver. 
Um, and yeah, the people... I, I actually don't know the yeah. history of that in Vancouver. I mean, I know the history of it in San Francisco, yeah. but I don't know the history of it here. So. Check out our opening gala film. What's uh, it called? It's called The Empress of Vancouver. Ooh. Uh, it's by Dave Short and Lantern Films, and it, it features a, a trans like drag queen performer, artist extraordinaire, and her name's Alive Howe, and she was crowned the 10th Empress of Vancouver, and there's this whole history of, like, the monarchy system in queer communities where someone is elected empress and emperor and they raise money for queer causes, mm-hmm. and it's been going on since, like, the seven, like, even before, I think, the 70s, but, like, this this takes place in 1981, mm-hmm. uh, and that was also, coincidentally, the first parade in Vancouver was also that year as well oh my god so anyways I'm taking my mom to this film I'm excited highly recommend (laughs) she's gonna love this (laughs) um okay um so uh you already answered my next question (laughs) why do you think we need to return to the political process so thank you for that I think it's necessary um and then why should people go see the shows in this festival both queer people and allies yeah i learn so much every year like it is Mm -hmm. my job to do this and like granted some years i don't get to see a ton of films because we're in the background doing all the things making sure things happen but actually during COVID, i got to sit down and actually watch all of the films Mm -hmm. and last year i got to see a a ton of them and i've learned so much about our own communities by watching these films like uh, all the documentaries, all the storytelling is just so interesting and mm-hmm. innovative yeah. and different. And I think we're seeing also a transition in in queer arts um, to be a bit more exploratory, not just based on identity, but mm-hmm. actually like our, you know, deeper experiences as people. Yeah. But we also happen to be queer and trans or mm-hmm. two-spirit or whatever it is, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, I yeah, I owe a lot of my queer knowledge to literally mm-hmm. just sitting and watching these movies. And so. watching the movies of the festival you're working for. Yeah. <laughs> it is It is a great perk. Um, and, <laughs> and I also just like, there's so much out there that I don't know. And because queer and trans histories are so buried mm. in many ways. And so once we get those stories out there, this is the whole point of the festival yeah. is to yeah. share our stories with each other. Yeah. And if you're an ally or just want to know more, because, like, I mean, I'm going to just call it, and I think people are getting queer every year. Like, yeah. I just think it's, like... Um, yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, the, totally. The, the trans people have been leading this charge for a long time yeah. about, like, gender doesn't exist. Like, you know, like, you're, you're bound by these rules that actually don't aren't real, yeah. right? And so I think that's also what's really cool to invite people who might not think that way into the mm-hmm. festival as well. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then allowing them to come in through these, like, personal stories. Because that's ultimately what's going to educate people and stick in their brains the most. Yeah, it's, like, one of those things that's also why we run the Out in Schools program. It's, like, it's not about sitting there with a PowerPoint being, like, here's gender Mm -hmm. A, B, C. And, like, here's what you say, what you don't say. But I think when we sit down and watch art, we watch a movie, we go to the the theater, whatever it is, like, it changes us because Mm -hmm. we feel. Like, we feel things. And I think Mm -hmm. that is actually more impactful than, like, Here's a list of 10 reasons why you shouldn't be homophobic. <laughs> yeah, you know? yeah. Art oh. is such a good way to teach yes. and be educated. I, honestly, you know, you can read as many research papers or, <laughs> as you want or as many, you know, essays. Yeah. But it, I feel like, well, one, if you're not into that type of stuff, you're not mm-hmm. going to want to read them. <laughs> and yep. so I feel like just art in general can reach out to so many more people. And it's so wonderful. Yeah, and mm-hmm. it, it has changed people's minds. Like, I've, I remember one year... It was the the big debate and debate. I mean, it was the the clash between like Black Lives Matter and Pride parades and mm-hmm. police and Pride. And we have folks in our community who are very like one way or the other. And then some folks are just like, I don't know yet. And then yeah. I remember we showed one movie and someone came out and like they 
DM'd me on Facebook being mm-hmm. like, I was on this side of the fence where I thought police should be in Pride, and now I've changed my mind. Wow, yeah. And I'm like, that is the power of, like, yeah, storytelling and the, 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 and the power of art to, like, change people's mindsets. Yeah, And I exactly. think that's really cool. And it's also, like, a way to make progress in our communities as well. Yeah, 100%. 100%. Um, so thank you so much, Brandon. My last question mm-hmm. is just what does it mean to you to have this role in this festival? <laughs> uh, it is an honor to, to head up an organization that's been around for, this is our 34th festival. Mm-hmm. Um, I will say it hasn't been easy because I became the executive director in uh, 2020, Ugh. which is like you're now the executive director of a festival during the world's like most recent pandemic. Yes. Um, but it has been lovely to, to run the team and to connect with our communities and our donors and supporters. And mm-hmm. um, like I said, I learn a ton from the people I work with. And most of my job is behind the scenes, but I'm very glad that we have um, wonderful people who do all the programming and writing and mm-hmm. like <laughs> stuff that yeah. I'm not good at. Awesome. <laughs> but I can yeah. write a grant. That's yeah. yeah. There you go. And anyone Teamwork. you want to give a shout out to? Uh, I mean, shout out to our festival team, mm-hmm. uh, Anushka Ratnaraja, who's our outgoing artistic director, Naya Lewis, who's our interim artistic director, Ashna, who is our program coordinator. Uh, we have Jazz, who is one of our programmers, Alice, who's one of our programmers. And those are the folks who are like selected the films that you will be seeing. Wow. Uh, and then we have the rest of our team, which is too many to say because I'll be a bad parent if I forget something. <laughs> um, it's like uh, your Oscars acceptance. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but I, I love working with everyone at the at out on screen and you know with out in schools and um, everyone just really cares a lot about the work that they do. So yeah, appreciate yeah. them to the core. Yeah. All right. So wonderful. And um my final question to you is mm. uh, double final question. If, yeah double final <laughs> final final <laughs> uh if people want to get more information yes. on the queer fun festival and um get festival passes mm-hmm. tickets where can they go yeah uh queerfunfestival.ca um we have our early bird passes on sale now mm-hmm. we also have a digital only pass for this year in case you're like oh. i'm not comfortable going in person mm-hmm. and yeah. so uh most of the films will be available on demand on our platform there are a few exceptions where it's like filmmakers only want one screening or mm-hmm. it's a special occasion and there's only going to be one screening of it so yeah. um but and the rest of the program will be released in uh well july 12th i hope july 12th is right, when yeah. we'll ha- release all of the the things for you to see yeah awesome that's wonderful well thank you so much for thank you so well, much coming Brandon. in the studio oh, of yeah, course and yeah. talking it's with nice us. to be in people I yeah know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah well folks um again that was brandon yan with uh the queer fun festival we're gonna quickly go into an ad on psa break and we'll be back right after <laughs> A tribe called Red is the Hallucination with their new record, One More Saturday Night, featuring Javier Mighty, Tanya Tagak, and more out now. Looking to get a reliable and affordable used bike? Need a repair or service to your current ride? Come to the Bike Kitchen, UBC's full-service community bike shop, located in room 36 of the UBC Life Building. Our hours are Monday to Friday, 10 a.m. to 6 p.m. If you buy a bike from us, bring it back when you're done using it and we'll give you half of your money back as long as you took care of it. If it needs repairs, we'll split the cost with you. Yep, you heard us right. 
we'll give you crisp dollar bills for half the original price of any used bike that you buy from us, minus the cost of repairs. For more information about our buyback policy and to stay up to date on any COVID-19 inspired changes, find us online at thebikekitchen.com. Hello, welcome back everyone. Um, so we just had Brandon Yan on the show to talk about the Vancouver Queer, Queer Film Festival. Um, just to let everyone know, currently the festival passes are discounted. So the festival pass is $140 instead of $175. Access pass is $140 instead of $145. And the digital pass that Brandon mentioned which is basically to access uh, everything that's digital um, and only digital. So no like in-person screenings, that is $100, which honestly sounds like a steal. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I think next up, what we will do is uh, play Dave's interview with Nic Nicola Spinola. So basically, Dave Campbell is the producer and host of Eclectic Lunch here. That's a show that airs Fridays at noon. And he recently interviewed um, dancer, choreographer, producer, and teacher, uh, Nicole Spinola. So we are gonna, um, and he very kindly sent us the, the interview. So Camp Q is the dream come true of Vancouver dancer, choreographer, producer, and teacher Nicole Spinola. It's a sleepaway camp on the Sunshine Coast for young performers age 13 to 18. Uh, and as I mentioned last week, uh, Dave Campbell of CITR's Eclectic Lunch spoke about it with Nicole near the fountains at the new Brentwood Plaza in Burnaby. So um, let's let's hear from from Nicole and Dave, and then we'll be back afterwards. Hi, Nicole. Hi. How are you? I'm great. <laughs> good. Good. So let's start by just telling me what is Camp Q, yeah. and and just for the radio audience, that's. C-U-E, not the letter Q. Not the letter Q. So it has nothing to do with uh, anything that has to do with the letter Q. No, it is uh, the prompt. It's a stage management prompt. Yeah. Q up. Um, camp Q is a sleepaway musical theater camp for teens. So it's for teens aged 13 to 18 who love musical theater, who want to work on their training in a capacity that is the classic summer camp experience. So cabins, outdoor, campfire, but at the same time, their days are filled with working with professionals in the industry on things that they normally would get in a school year, singing, dancing, and acting, but things that are maybe outside the realm of their training at this time. So just to take their craft and uh, elevate it to the next level in a capacity that takes you outdoors. Right. And it's it's outdoors. It's Tell me about the location. Yeah, so the location is uh, just north of Seashelt, and it is uh, the TELUS Wilderness Point. So it's a new location for TELUS, and uh, there is a camp being built there. So we will be the first group to actually take residency this summer at that location. And 
you can only get there by boat. I like that part. Yeah, so it is boat access only, but TELUS has a boat that will take us from the marina to the location. And so it's a quick little trip and yeah. it's, uh, it's really great. Yeah, so you, you, you kind of get that, like, like the, uh, the experience of camp starts by getting on the boat and going there. Exactly right, yeah. exactly right. And it actually starts because it's on the Sunshine Coast, anyone coming from the Lower Mainland will take a ferry to Gibson's and then they'll transit to the marina and then the boat. So your experience starts here. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah exactly. So who's it for? You said teens. Yeah, it's for teens. It's for teens who love musical theater. Mm -hmm. We take any level of experience, but really for the teens that already maybe do musical theater, that have a big passion for it, that want more experience and want to work with people that are uh, not their usual educators. So uh, we have some uh, educators coming from Toronto. We have people that are local that are coming over. So they'll definitely get a, a wide range of uh, training while they're with us for the week. And is, uh, do you, like you say, you don't need experience, but is there like an audition process or how do you apply, how do you get into it? You just need to register. There's no audition process. We really are focused on uh, the process and wherever level, whatever level you enter into camp at is the level that we will train you at. So we definitely want this to be an individual experience uh, where teens can come and feel free to grow at their own pace but also be around like-minded individuals. Yeah. This is, a, this is a first for this area too, like a sleepaway camp for yeah. theater kids. Yeah. There are, in Canada, there are a few uh, sleepaway camps that do something similar to what we're doing, but this is uh, sort of one of the first in this capacity. We don't actually do a final production, so that's what makes us unique, is that we are all about process over product. So the kids come, they're free to learn, to make mistakes, to grow, to have fun without the pressure of needing a polished final performance. Right. Yeah, because yeah, I know there are a few groups around town like uh, Theatre Replacement and, mm -hmm. and the Lindbergh Academy and, and Gotta Sing, Gotta Dance that yeah. do the day camp thing. Yeah. So uh, uh, what, what, uh, what prompted you to, to go in this direction? I just saw a need for it. Yeah. You know, there's so many opportunities to do kayaking camp and all these other sorts of overnight camps. And I loved camp as a kid, but I went to I went to like a horseback riding camp. Yeah. I didn't have anything that gave me the opportunity to explore what I really loved, which was musical theater. Uh, it is quite popular in the states, but we don't really have it too much up here. And so I thought, well, why don't I just do it? Yeah. Yeah. So how, how long has this been in process? When did you first get the idea you wanted to do it? It's been a few years. I've had this idea for a long time, but I started working on it act actively about a year and a half ago. And then I brought on uh, Nicole Stevens, who is my partner in the business, and uh, we have been actively working on it. Uh, we were a little bit unsure about when we would be able to launch because of COVID, but we felt like this summer was going to be the right summer to do it. So yeah, it's about that long. Yeah, and, and uh, well, uh, so what so what was your first step? How did you how did you get started? Well, I came up with the name first. Yeah. So I went through it. It was really important to me for it to feel both like it was an outdoor camp, but also uh, have a nod to theater. So I spent a very long time trying to negotiate what this name would be. And I landed on Camp Q. Uh, I felt like it was you're being queued up for success yeah. in the arts in whatever capacity you end up going. Um, and it's also not limited just to performing, but if, if students are interested in other aspects of it. Uh, and then I started looking for locations, and that was probably the hardest 
Um, part of the puzzle was to find a location that didn't already have their own camp and had availability and met all of our needs. Well, uh, so how, how did you find out about the location? You said that this was, this was something that TELUS was building? Yeah, so uh, we, uh, were contacted with, uh, we were contacted by TELUS who said, hey, we've heard of your camp and we have this facility and we're wondering if you want to come and be the first camp to be there and sort of help guide us through this opening process. So they called you? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, yeah. So we were really excited about that. We actually, we had another location and it was awesome, yeah. but this one fit our needs so much more and we were so excited about it. So we flew out there, we saw the property, and we thought it was perfect. So this is, uh, it felt like it was meant to be. Yeah. yeah. And then I guess next step would be to recruit staff. How did you get, how yeah. did you get your, your team? Yeah, so um, we're still in the process of actually recruiting some of our um, activity leader staff. Yeah. But in terms of our teaching staff, we reached out to people who we felt um, had the same values as us as educators, but also um, for our campers. And we picked people who are professionals in their industry, who have a lot of experience, both on stage and in the classroom, per se. So that's how we went about doing that. And uh, also finding people with a wide variety of skills. So not everybody, everybody that's coming has sort of something different to offer our campers. Yeah. So for example, what, what, uh, what kind of things do they have to offer? So one of our uh, camp um, special guests is coming in to do a crowd technique with our campers. So they'll be learning uh, ensemble work, how to be a great ensemble member when the director doesn't necessarily work with you specifically on your character. So how to build that individually into a scene as an ensemble um, when you aren't, when you're not the lead. Yeah. 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 So things like that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So it'll be... All day long, it'll be singing, dancing, yeah. uh, uh, acting, mm -hmm. uh, and movement. Yep, so they'll do a singing, dancing, and acting class every yeah. day. And then each day we have a, a new guest artist that's coming in to do a workshop with them. And then, of course, surrounding all of that, all of that classwork, they'll be kayaking, swimming, campfire karaoke, and all of that other fun stuff that you know about camp. Yeah, yeah. great. When does it start? It starts July 17th. And it's just one week this summer, but we are hoping to expand um, further on after this summer. But yeah, one one week this summer. And how do we uh, how do we get involved? Yeah, so you can uh, visit our website at www.campq.com. We also have Instagram, which is just at CampQ, or uh, Facebook at CampQ22. Great. Yeah. Thanks awesome. a lot. Thank you so much. Hello, welcome back. I know that was a very abrupt <laughs> ending, but. Hey, what can you do? So, uh, oh my God, that sounds so amazing. So I went to camp growing up, both as a camper and as a counselor. Um, yes, I was selected to be a counselor. I mean, not to brag, but, <laughs> but the camp I went to was like a international camp where people from different countries came and basically all of the activities we did was different sports. So basically it was like basketball, football, baseball, and then there was like maybe once or twice arts and crafts where we made friendship bracelets. <laughs> and I am a big theater nerd. Um, I love watching it. I love performing it. And honestly, I wish I was between the ages of 13 and 18 so that I could go to this camp. I also really wish that there were theater camps 
when I was growing up. <laughs> this sounds so wonderful. Um, so just to remind everyone, you can sign up for Camp Q and also find out more at www.campq.com. Q is C-U-E, not the letter Q. So it's campcue.com. And remember, uh, under how did you hear about us, please click other and then arts report at CITR. Uh, that would be wonderful. And also, thank you so much today for sending in this interview. I am very happy that we get to tell more people about this vi via our show. And I get to find out about this too, in case, you know, I can tell um, my so my my mom's friend lives here and she has friends with a bunch of young children um, who has a bunch of young children. So I can, I can, you know, let them know. And also, I apologize. I think in the beginning I, I um, said Nicola instead of Nicole. See, the thing is, <laughs> cough medicine got me bad. <laughs> I had strep throat for a couple days and I was taking cough medicine and oh my god my brain has been so mushy um but yeah again Dave um shout out to Dave uh he hosts eclectic lunch Fridays at noon so check out a show and check out Camp Q um but yeah so moving on next up we have a review so lua one of our lovely lovely team members um she did a review of white girls in moccasins by dora award nominated playwright yolanda bonnell directed by kelemia sparrow so the show unfortunately ended it ran from june 16th to 19th and um we were lucky enough to, you know, do a review. <laughs> and by we, I mean Lua. <laughs> and just a heads up, <laughs> as I mentioned in the beginning of the show, Lua um, was flying. Wait, did I mention this live? I don't know if I mentioned this live or not, but now I'm mentioning it. Lua was flying. <laughs> she was at the airport <laughs> on that grind. <laughs> she recorded this uh, review at the airport. So there's some background noise, uh, naturally, because <laughs> there are a lot of people at the airport. Well, wouldn't you know? <laughs> um, but I am very glad that she did because we get to... We get to hear the review now. And also next show on July 6th, uh, we will have another review of Lua. She will be reviewing Kinky Boots by the Arts Club. And she's going to be recording that somewhere in Europe. So, hey, what do you know? Maybe in the background of that one, we will hear some, some foreign languages. It could be Spanish. It could be French. It could be Italian. We don't know. We will see. Uh, tune in to see <laughs> what languages you will hear. Um, but I think, yeah, uh, I'll just let Lua do rest of the speaking. So enjoy this review and I'll be back afterwards. <laughs> hey everyone, this is Lua and today I'll be talking about White Girls and Moccasins, written by Yolanda Bonnell. And this play was part of the Talking Stick Festival here in Vancouver, which is a Indigenous-led, well, it features Indigenous works. And it's a really cool festival, uh, has a number of different plays and a different, different number of different performances that I do recommend uh, checking out if you have the time and opportunity. Uh, this year, the festival happened from June 16th to June 19th, which is when 
a white girl with a moccasins also happened. And I had the privilege of um, going and seeing it. This play is not a new play for the festival. It has already had a run in Toronto, and Yolanda is Dora Award nominated is a Dora Award nominated playwright, which is really exciting. And so this play is kind of weird in a way. It's almost like if a one woman play, a one woman show, was turned on its head, and new characters were incorporated into it. Not where the new characters are kind of one version of that one woman and a guiding spirit. Yeah, it sounds it sounds funky. It was definitely interesting. Uh, a lot of comedic moments. Very funny, but also very gut-wrenching in certain ways. And it dealt with a number of very difficult topics ranging from um, abuse in a relationship to... Um, you know, intergenerational trauma and racism, or simply the fact of being indigenous and existing in a world made for essentially white people. And I'm sorry for the background noise. I am in the middle of an airport because you know what? Yes, my life is incredibly chaotic, but <laughs> I hope you can hear me well. Uh, so back to the play. Uh, so Miss Cozy who is the main character she goes in a search for herself and her culture accompanied by her inner white girl and that is why this play is called white girl moccasins and it really deals with the duality of being indigenous but surrounding yourself with whiteness and existing in within white culture and trying to separate yourself from your culture in order to um this like assimilate more within into whiteness. The play doesn't happen in any particular location or time. It kind of exists in this dreamlike realm where um, there's a lot of cutscenes, um, game show situations, memories mixed in with um, thoughts. It's it's kind of a roller coaster of a play in that sense because you don't really follow a single plot line um, it's kind of more of a full exploration of a person and that's why I say it's kind of like a one-woman show where traditionally one one person shows really I kind of like this person telling a story uh, jumps back and forth and this is kind of the feel that this play has to it where it's kind of like you're in this stream of consciousness trying to accompany uh, the main character in her discovery of herself which um, renders a really fascinating way and I do appreciate all of the comedic timing and all of the comedy that is incorporated into this play because of the difficulty of the topics that are dealt with. This show is incredibly hard to describe for the simple fact that it is not traditional in any way shape or form. It doesn't follow, like I said before, it doesn't follow a regular plot. Um, it feels more like a stream of consciousness in the form of a play, but obviously very well executed and very well thought out and um, built in a very interesting and, uh, well, thought out, thoughtful way. With that said, however, um, I think the takeaway of the play is the really interesting part for me. Um, I am in case you don't know me. I am not white. I am a mixed woman. My skin is brown. 
and I watched this play with my partner who is a white cis man. And I think the two of us had very different takeaways from this play. For him, it ended up being like, oh wow, like this play puts into words an experience that I will never have or fully understand, but now I can appreciate it and now I can see it and understand it so much better. And I think in that way, that is really awesome. And I think it was great hearing that from him to to know from him that he understood a lot of these situations better because of this play. So props, props to the author, props to Yolanda for writing a play that was able to achieve that. On my end, it was a very different takeaway because a lot of the things that were dealt with, obviously I'm not indigenous, so a lot of things were, are very different from my personal experience, but a lot of the things that were discussed were simply existing as a brown person in a white world. And uh, that was something I never really felt before moving to Canada. But now that I am in a white world, quote unquote, um, in a country that is majority white, it is a very different type of experience. And um, for me, the takeaway ended up being like, oh, yeah, that's that's. That's something I grew up with. That is exactly how I feel. Um, bleaching skin, not bleaching skin, well, a little bit. But like this idea of like, oh, I need to be closer to whiteness is like, oh, there is nothing that was said here that I don't already feel or have experienced or uh, relate in some way or another outside of obviously the particular indigenous experiences that are discussed in the play. Um, and so I think from that perspective, it was really interesting to see how he could take away such a powerful message. And for me, it simply felt very validating in a way to know that, oh, other people have also experienced this, like, I'm afraid of the sun because I don't want to tan and make my skin darker and make myself even more out there. I'm not gonna lie, it feels kind of awkward to say all of that on the radio and to publicly admit to all these feelings. And I think that's part of the reason that that play was powerful in that sense. So overall, it was a great play. I don't think there's a play for everyone, um, but I think everyone can learn something from it. With that being said, I found it incredibly funny. My partner also found it very funny. I think I found it more funny because I got so many more of the jokes and I found it so much more relatable to me. But um, overall, it's just funny situations. It's funny. It's a funny approach uh, to very serious matters. And I always appreciate appreciate um, uh, taking on a non-traditional take to serious issues. You know, I think seeing things from new angles is always good and it always renders new ideas and sometimes that's all we need so yeah if you do get a chance to ever watch uh white girls and moccasins do check it out and that's it for me today i hope you enjoy that bye bye everyone Come see punk rock band McLusky at the Rickshaw Theater on September 22nd. Check out www.rickshawtheater.com for more details. And around the world.
TransCare BC works to enhance the coordination of trans health services across the province and offer expanded health services to support transgender communities. They are doing this by developing gender-affirming client-centered models of service, ensuring access to gender-affirming and supportive healthcare that is equitable and available, and supporting network development to make sure trans and gender-diverse individuals, their families, and healthcare providers have access to information, resources, and support. Check out phsa.ca to learn more about this program and lend your voice to help create an inclusive and supportive system for trans members of our community. Are you happy with it? I mean, it isn't over yet. Okay, so you did hear my hello. Just, I was just playing the 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 promotional video for Winter Guests, who is Dance House's current guests, and I'll continue just for a little bit. What are the chances? Do you like it? Do you love it? How much money do you have? Did you finish high school? So the reason I played that, it's because today, tonight, after the show, I am going to see winter guests from Norway performing Story Story Die. That is the name <laughs> of the show. Um, I am very curious to see how it is. It looks very interesting from the video. And I'll give you some, some information about it. So basically, winter guests are gonna be performing Story Story Die. By the way, they're from Norway. They came all the way from Norway. That's so exciting. Um, Today, June 22nd, and tomorrow, June 28th, 8th, June 23rd, <laughs> at 8 p.m. at the Vancouver Playhouse. The running time's 90 minutes with no intermissions, and they have a pre-show chat at 7.15 p.m. both tonight and tomorrow at the upper lobby of the Vancouver Playhouse. Um, Post-show social after the performance uh, tonight, so if you're going, uh, keep that in mind. Uh, so I'll just read you a little bit about what it is. The rules of the game are simple. Like and be liked, kill or be killed. Under the direction of choreographer Ellen Lucienoyen, Norway's dance theater company Winter Guests deconstruct contemporary pathologies of need and narcissism. Taking insp inspiration from the performer's real-life experiences, solo work and group dynamics lay bare the brutal cost of social rituals. With an emphasis on the eloquence of pure dance, winter guests pose difficult questions about what it means to be free when every aspect of daily life is subject to constant scrutiny, scrutiny, <laughs> scrutiny, <laughs> manipulation, and judgment. As the game is redrawn, the competition metastasizes. <laughs> I have no idea how to read that word. Um, Google Translate <laughs> is going to come to my rescue right now. Um, Metastasize. <laughs> That's so funny. Oh, my God. I literally have no idea. 
Metastasizes. Metastasizes. <laughs> so, as the game is redrawn, the competition metastasizes into an Escher-like illustration of truth and presentation. As carefully constructed identities implode beneath the pressure of perfection, punishing all those who dare to play. That sounds so intense. I'm so excited. <laughs> Again, Dance House brings on so many great guests. So if you want to keep uh, checking out what Dance House does, just go to dancehouse.ca and then you can find all of it through shows and events. And yeah, I'm really, really excited. And lastly on the show today is my interview with Danny Molina, who is playing Galileo in uh, We Will Rock You for Theater Under the Stars. Theater Under, Under the Stars is happening starting July 7th. So opening nights are July 7th and 8th for We Will Rock You and um, Something Rotten. <laughs> and... I will be reviewing both. I'm so excited. Uh, but yeah, so enjoy this interview and I'll be back afterwards. Hopefully. Let's see. Hello, everyone. <laughs> Today I have Danny Molina with me playing Galileo in um, We Will Rock You for Theater Under the Stars. Hi, Danny. Welcome. Hi. Hello. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for being here. So let's start off. A little bit about We Will Rock You and Theater Under the Stars and then we'll go into your background a little bit because I read some very interesting things. <laughs> hmm. um, so would you like to start us off by telling us what We Will Rock You is about without hopefully giving away too much? We Will Rock You, what a wild show. This is about, um, this is set 300 years in the future in this dystopian future where um, there's this, this uh, villainess named uh, Killer Queen who is kind of in control of society. Everything is kind of digital and uniform. Um, there's not a lot of room for expression of individuality or certainly um, uh, interesting music. Uh, and my character, Galileo, kind of uh, is at this point of his life where he's struggling with uh, his own individuality. And he's been having these, um, these visions and these hearing these voices in his head of old rock and roll uh, artists and lyrics and not sure what it all means. It turns out there's this kind of prophecy of someone who will, who will come back and bring rock and roll music back to society and kind of break free of this, this strict regime of, of uniformity um, and mind control, really. Uh, so it's kind of about his journey, uh, meeting these other bohemians uh, kind of in this underground uh, world who are trying to, to rebel against uh, this society. Um, and on the, on the way, he also meets a, a female friend who has similar experiences and together they are trying to um, run away from society and bring back rock and roll uh, as per this prophecy that they've heard about that sounds very interesting i so we will rock you basically if anyone recognizes the name it all features songs from um the band queen and when i first saw the the name of the musical i really thought that it was just like you know kind of like a show about queen <laughs> yeah <laughs> It's not really about Queen. Definitely, it's it's the the fun in the show is is putting in all of these Queen songs that fit into the story in 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 
some ways. Uh, and it's a celebration of the music for sure. We do reference uh, the band Queen and, you know, set in the real world and in so far as, as having these, these rock stars have existed in our world. Um, but it's not about Queen. It's not about Freddie Mercury's story or anything like that. I'm kind of my character is Freddie Mercury kind of reincarnated, I suppose, but I'm, I'm not doing an impression of Freddie Mercury. I'm not telling about his life at all. It's, it's kind of its own fantastical sci-fi story. Wonderful. And so talking about the fact that the music is music from Queen. So for anyone who doesn't know, uh, when a musical features songs that are, you know, popular music songs rather than original music, that's called a jukebox musical. Mm -hmm. So we will rock you being a jukebox <laughs> musical. Do you think it makes learning the music any easier or different from learning any original music for another musical? Yeah, certainly. Like I, I recognize, as many of the audience members will, would recognize the music. So you know, kind of how uh, Queen sang it, and um, and definitely we we try to stay true to some of their style and and the band. You know, is, if uh, they're playing all the same kind of uh, tracks that the Queen would have played, um, but certainly we put our own kind of stylistic approach to it, and uh, and of course, you know some. Of the songs are sung by women or or by chorus members and and under different contexts and styles so it's definitely original but it does make it easier to learn when you already somewhat familiar with the songs um that being said there's a lot of queen music that i i had never heard of before and that i got to learn through this experience and and some new favorites are, are ones that aren't uh, typically classics um but it's been really fun to to learn all the depth and breadth of, of queen's repertoire mm -hmm. and moving a little to you to talking about you so I read that you were going to you went to school for acting you did acting and singing for a little bit but then ended up quitting that to pursue medicine mm -hmm. and um, you're currently in residency for psychiatry yeah. at UBC mm -hmm. so I just want to ask first of all why did you end up making that decision Oh boy, that's <laughs> my answer I can provide. So, so definitely, I, I was really interested in music theater all throughout um, high school, and even before that, I was singing in in church with my family, and uh, and was heavily involved in in both kind of band and choir and theater in high school. And in grade twelve, I had auditioned for this uh, great program at the Canadian College of Performing Arts, which is in Victoria, BC. So I moved after high school. Um, I was in Saskatoon at the time, moved to Victoria for this two-year program, uh, which was, you know, a great uh, experience of my life, kind of developing my skills and, and learning about the industry. And then I moved to Toronto to, um, to work uh, professionally, and I did have a couple professional shows. I went up to Newfoundland for a few summers for a theater festival there and had a great experience just, um, again, kind of experimenting with my, my performance art, my creativity. Um, but it's a hard life sometimes for, for artists, and I've, I found that I was uh, really also wanted to explore other parts of, of my interests, and that included biology. I kind of, on a whim, one year started an undergraduate of science at York University, and uh, really enjoyed uh, bio biological sciences and chemistry and, and, and genetics especially was really fascinating to me at the time. So there was a time where I was balancing uh, auditioning and performing as well as going to school. But at school, I fell into a group of, of med school gunners, uh, people who had been dreaming of becoming doctors their whole lives and just hearing them and their and, and ambitions 
it, there are so many parallels I could draw for my ambitions to be a performer as well, but I found it um, going into medicine was a really great way that I could uh, directly impact some of my, my community in, in other ways. And so it kind of all snowballed. I, I wrote my MCAT, which is this kind of standardized test you write to get into med school. I did that. Uh, I think I stopped auditioning around that time because my, my focus had changed a little bit, but I still felt very much connected with the theater community in Toronto. Um, I had a, a partner uh, who was my, my, my current partner is still in, in that uh, industry. And so many of my best friends in Toronto were performers. So I still felt kind of involved, even though I was shifting my focus. And I was lucky enough to get into University of Toronto's uh, medical program on my first try. And there I was able to stretch some of my performing legs by uh, being part of uh, a med school musical we did in the first couple of years and had a, a pretty big role in, in that as well. Um, but it was a hard decision. I, I do feel like going into medicine requires quite a bit of dedication and focus and I wasn't able to perform as much as I wanted to. So this year is an amazing kind of opportunity for me to to get back into that um, while still kind of putting my, my medical ambitions on the back burner for now. So you're taking a break from clinical work to focus on, well, specifically Theatre Under the Stars currently. Mm -hmm. um, do you think that you want to do this again where you kind of put medical stuff on the back burner and focus on theater in the future? Yeah I think that's definitely a possibility. I really kind of thought that I would wait until I was done residency to pursue theater again. It's a five-year program in psychiatry that I've, I'm just finishing up my second year um, and I figured that once I was finished residency started being staff at the hospital that I'd have more flexibility over my schedule um, but this year, you know, I saw the open call for the auditions. I had been um, uh, learning about and co-facilitating a, a therapy group as part of my program, and we were talking about um, we were talking about accumulating positive experiences in your life and, and living a life worth living as, as part of the therapeutic approach. And uh, I saw this audition opportunity. I said, I'll just go for it. I haven't auditioned for something in so many years. And that led to a callback and then another callback. And I got this, this great role. Um, so I had to talk to my program about it and they were very supportive. I think one of the benefits of being in, in psychiatry and, and focusing on mental health is that I had, um, you know, leadership that were really supportive of, of, of doing something that would um, bring me a sense of joy and 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 they were very supportive of me taking a, a formal leave to do the show for two months um it will extend my residency by two months i'll have to kind of make up for it um and in in that regard if i do this again it will continue to extend my residency but to me it's worth it you know there's so much time in in, in life to pursue different ambitions and particularly in the medical industry where it's it's a long training program, you know, what is a few months on top of a five-year program <laughs> if it allows you to take a break and have some fun. Yeah, that, yeah. <laughs> I just, I find it funny because both of my parents are doctors okay. and they're constantly learning more and doing more research. And I feel like in medicine, it never ends, even if mm -hmm. you're, you know, officially done with school, you're never really done with learning. And exactly. so, yeah, everything exactly. you said and made so much sense. <laughs> yeah. And the, the, the I think the way the culture is in medical education is that there is this pressure to kind of um, keep up with the rest of your cohort and, and, and finish all kind of the milestones at the right time. Um, but in reality, you know, like I said, there's all the time in the world to, to pursue different dreams at different times. So I feel very affirmed in my choice to kind of 
split my direction in different ways and allow different parts of my life or different times in my life to focus on different things. And it's nice to have that support for my program as well. Yeah, definitely. And how long has it been since you last, well, performed? Because you said you saw the open editions and you were like, well, might as well go for it. Yeah. The last time I, I performed um, with a company like Theater Under the Stars would have been in 2013. So about nine years ago. Wow. And yeah. how is it working in a, a production again after nine years? Oh, it's so fantastic, especially especially working with um, uh, a lot of a lot of the ensemble are, are quite a bit younger than me at this point and are, you know, fresh theater grads who who are so passionate and keen. And it brings me back to that mindset I was in when I was their age. Um, and it's such a joy to just play with with other adults and and work take it very seriously to make a a, a fun show it's kind of that sounds kind of like a, a oxymoron or something but um it, it's been so great to tap back into this side of myself that I've kind of again been neglecting a little bit um and also myself as a performer my, my voice has changed over the last 10 years and and the way that I'm uh able to to do things that I couldn't do before that feels quite nice for me to 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 work on those skills again um that being said it's it's a lot of pressure I feel uh this is a big venue at, at the Malcolm Bowl and it's a big show especially for my character's singing track um so it's a little nerve-wracking but I'm sure once we get going um it will all feel like getting back on a bike again you know yeah especially after opening night mm -hmm. I'm sure it's gonna mm -hmm. it's all gonna go perfectly mm -hmm. um cross my fingers <laughs> Yeah. So for specifically, we will rock you during the the rehearsal process. Were there was there anything that made you feel like you really, you know, missed theater and performing in the past uh, nine years? Absolutely. There's a, such a sense of community that you get with other performers working on a show together that is unlike anything else I've really experienced. Um, Again, that that sense of play and fun is not something that adults really know how to do anymore without this kind of creative outlet. Um, and in those first few rehearsals, just really kind of being vulnerable and letting my guard down and, and seeing my, my co-workers do that as well. Um, it's such a special bonding experience. We know we've only been rehearsing for a few weeks, maybe four weeks now, and uh, and we feel like a family already, honestly. And, and again, that happens so naturally and easily with these kind of creative pursuits. Um, and I feel so grateful to, to experience that again. Yeah. And do you have anything that you would like to say to people who want to pursue the, the performing arts, but also are maybe currently studying something that is not that and are planning on actually working um, mm. in a different field? Yeah, it's it's tough. I know that I'm kind of an exception to the rule of of kind of being able to do uh, an artistic pursuit and something like medicine at the same time. Um, but hopefully, I can be uh, an example that it is possible. Maybe not all at the same time. Like I said, at certain parts of my medical education, I did have to kind of focus in and and put performing on the back burner. But there's always there's always time. You know, I feel like I've got a lot of time ahead of me, even though I'm older than the rest of the cast. Um, to do things like this. I think uh, you also have to know what 
your capacity is for for work versus play in that regard and 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 acknowledge what is keeping you well what's keeping you healthy what is keeping the the covid blues at bay things like that and and allow yourself to to pursue those things and have fun um and and sometimes that requires making sacrifices in other parts of your life and a lot of making time. Um, I would say, you know, ambition, love for things in the world can be infinite, but of course time is not. So uh, you do have to um, be mindful of, of what's bringing your life meaning and purpose and making sure that you're making time for that. Easier said mm -hmm. than done. <laughs> yeah. Oh, for sure. But it's still, I feel like it's very inspiring to still hear these things you know from mm -hmm. especially people who are experiencing them experiencing them mm -hmm. um, but yeah so before we go would you like to remind everyone when they can see you as Galileo and we will rock you and where they can get tickets Yes, tickets are on sale at uh, tuts.ca. Um, our previews start on July 3rd. Uh, we've got a preview on July 3rd, July 5th, and then our official opening night is July 8th. And at that point, we will run every other night for all of July and August, ending on August 27th. Um, there should be plenty of tickets available, but uh, it should sell out pretty fast. So do go and get your tickets while you can. Wonderful. Thank you so much for, for talking with me today. I am so excited. I'm attending the opening night okay. and I'm so excited. <laughs> but yeah, I'm sure you're going to be great. And the rest of the cast will be amazing too. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, thank you for, for talking with me today. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. Hey, welcome back. That was Danny Molina for We Will Rock You and also end of our show. Thank you so much for tuning in. Thank you for listening. Thank you for supporting. Um, I think this is my last show hosting officially, which is kind of bittersweet. I've been hosting this show for such a long time. I will be back next week to do some review. Not next week, next show and the other show. To do some reviews but um our lovely member ruby will be taking over the hosting part so thank you all for for you know listening supporting and we will talk to you on july 6th enjoy your day bye you all take for granted but it kind of allows you to take a step back and like look at it a bit analytically and try and understand uh you know why it is the way it is and why we do the things we do totally uh, so how did you get from there to an interest in the immigrant experience and learning about uh, neighborhood houses? Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, hey, that's kind of a long story. I'll try and make it short, though. <laughs> but um, yeah, I'd always been interested in things. Um, well, hey, the, the, the actual, the real story kind of is um, I was working, I was doing research on um, like economic sociology and economic kind of processes and things like that, that I was interested in. And uh, I had come to UBC and around that time, a colleague of mine here at UBC, um, uh, he uh, was looking for someone to do research around a similar kind of topic, around immigration and how people find work and those kinds of things. And so we started working together and I'd always been interested in immigration, but that, it was actually that connection that really got me interested in it as a field and making that kind of collaborative connection that I started to really kind of invest myself in thinking about immigration particularly. And um, the, that's all part of the story too, because it was actually the same guy. His name is uh, Mu Chung Yan. He's a he's a professor here at UBC as well. He introduced me to neighborhood houses, and and, uh, and that, it was from there that I really got kind of interested and engaged with neighborhood houses, in particular here in Vancouver. And, 
um, yeah, then that was, a, I really kind of threw myself into it. And so I've really worked with neighborhood houses as an academic and a researcher, but also I've spent some of my time as a sort of person in the world volunteering and working with neighborhood houses as well as uh, doing all different kinds of projects. Uh, so maybe we should take a step back and explain to the audience what a neighborhood house actually is, for those <laughs> yeah, who don't so, know. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Um, so neighborhood houses are actually community organizations and they're place-based community organizations. So they actually are located in specific neighborhoods. And so their mandate is to actually serve that particular neighborhood. And and um, primarily their, their main interest is around community building. So kind of building connections within these kind of bounded, geographically bounded neighborhoods. And um, they do a lot of other things in addition to that too. Uh, they have an emphasis of uh, working with um, groups that are kind of marginalized and kind of an interest in working with marginalized groups. So uh, they work a lot with uh, newcomers to uh, to the neighborhoods. They look, work a lot with like say like mothers who need support in uh, raising children and and they do a lot of food and food security kind of programming. They do all kinds of things like that. So they, they kind of combine this sort of community building, community development kind of ethos along with this kind of interest in supporting marginalized people. Yeah, that's yeah, kind of like a that, version. Yeah, how's that <laughs> different from a community center? Yeah, I think that's that's a big question that comes up a lot. And, you know, the real difference between um, neighborhood houses and community centers, I'll say there's two things that are really distinguished them. One is um, the, this kind of community development ethos that's part of the neighborhood house movement, right? It's it's really kind of has this ethos of trying to build community. Uh, a lot of the programming, like sometimes community centers will do a lot of similar kinds of programming as neighborhood houses, uh, recreational activities, support for parents and those kinds of things. But but when the neighborhood house does it, it's always geared towards this idea of trying to build community and build and build connections in the community along with this idea of sort of like reaching out to marginalized groups. So you can kind of pop into a community center and participate in like a recreational activity or participate in some kind of activity. Uh, um, uh, some kind of program that's happening there. But at the neighborhood house, you kind of become a member and you sort of, you, you kind of join this group, this community, this group, and you become sort of a neighborhood house person a little bit in a way. And so in that sense, it's a little different. Uh, I'll mention really quickly that the other thing that really distinguishes it is that neighborhood houses are part of like a long tradition. So they actually, the first neighborhood house sort of started in the 1800s, in the late 1900s, uh, it was a place called Toynbee Hall. And, um, it's kind of famous part of uh, neighborhood houses and, and settlement houses are kind of similar types of organizations. And the settlement house movement is a bit famous and it's been around for over a hundred years now and, and it's made its way around the world. So there, there are places like neighborhood houses all over the world that sort of follow in this, this historical tradition as well. So that kind of makes it unique and different. So neighborhood houses, if I understand correctly, they're not a house where people go to live in, right? That's a really good point yeah because sometimes people mm -hmm. are confused by that yeah so it's actually not a place where you live no it's so the sometimes people describe it as like the community's living room that's kind of the mm -hmm. idea of the neighborhood house but it's not a place where you'd actually live yeah so um you talked about how neighborhood houses are sometimes tailored towards a specific community it's located in uh do you know any like specific examples on certain programs like one neighborhood house has um that helps their particular community yeah, yeah. So like, um, 
So I wish I came with prepared with a list, but uh, <laughs> in fact, actually all neighborhood houses are really unique in that they do that. So usually it's, it's kind of demographically driven. Like, so, um, so for instance, in, um, in uh, the West End, there's a neighborhood house called the Gordon neighborhood house and the Gordon neighborhood house, because of its location there, it has a lot of connections with the uh, LGBTQ community. And uh, they make connections also with like other uh, LGBTQ organizations in that area. And they have programs that kind of gear towards those types of that, that aspect of the neighborhood. And that would be really different than say, like um, there's a neighborhood house called the South Vancouver neighborhood house out on Victoria. And, um, and it's, uh, it's geared much more towards its local community in that sense. So like, for instance, there's a Chinese uh, choir that, that goes there and practices and, and things to, at, at that location. So it's, it just kind of tailors itself to those different locations in that kind of way, I guess. Maybe that, maybe that captures it, I hope, anyway. Yeah. Uh, do they often, like, collaborate with other, like, um, organizations within the community, like clinics or places yeah. like that? Yeah, yeah, that's a great thing. Yeah. In fact, actually, um, uh, we've written about that a little bit in our book and in, in some other places too, about how, in a way, like because the neighborhood house is geographically based and some of those other organizations aren't geographically based, right? So the neighborhood house is sort of like a first door to a lot of those organizations. So people might first come to the neighborhood house and then people there who are working there will realize that they, um, this person has this X, Y, or Z kind of need. And so they'll connect them into this wider organizational network in that sense. So, and that way they become sort of like, um, what we kind of describe it as like a form of access, right? It's like they, people can kind of have access to this wider network by their connection through the neighborhood house. Yeah, I can imagine how that would be particularly helpful for a new immigrant in the country who has no idea where to start. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, they do yeah, lots of things like that. They'll be actually, they'll be sort of, um, say, like employment, for instance, is one of the important things you'd be interested in, right, if you're a newcomer. And, and so, um, yeah, they have, they'll have, sometimes they'll have like in, in programs at the neighborhood house, right, where, um, where you'll be kind of of connected with like learning how to like say resume building or those kinds of things or uh but then then the neighborhood house then will also have connections with other organizations to be able to sort of help them in that kind of job finding and job search process just as one example yeah uh do you know of like maybe some of the other like main um barriers immigrants come across that neighborhood houses try to help with well you know one thing i'm particularly interested in is um like uh, I, I have this interest in in uh, friendship and particularly in like how people make friends with people who are different than themselves in some kind of way. And so uh, that could be things like, uh, like so for a newcomer, you could be uh, making a connection with someone who's like, if you're an immigrant, maybe making someone who's not an immigrant, right? Like who's either, uh, maybe someone who's been in Canada for some time, that would be one kind of connection, but also a connection with maybe someone who was, uh, who was born in Canada, right? And then similarly, like you could also make connections with people from different um, ethnic backgrounds 